So uh, coming out of uh, coming out of Cupertino, we have uh, Justine and Renee. Uh, just I, Justine and uh, Renee Ritchie. Hi, guys. Hey, hi. Can, can you see it? Yeah, can, good to see you here. You got a, quite a space there. That's a uh, it's quite a setup. It's gorgeous. It's Apple's podcast uh, studio right here in the development center. Oh, I'm great. over here taking notes and shopping online, picking out all of these items that I want for my podcast. We're going to reproduce this at home. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And uh, and coming in uh, from also from the South Bay uh, is uh, Adam Tao from Mix Effect. Uh, Adam Tao is the developer of Mix Effect. We're actually running the show on Mix Effect, so it's something that we use. It's a it's a um, a, a controller for ATEMS. Hey, Adam. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, good, good to have you here. And uh, and coming in from the North Bay uh, is uh, Ari uh, Prohaska. And uh, Ari is the developer for AudioKit. And AudioKit is a uh, powerful audio framework that many music developers use to build their music apps. And so, uh, hi, Ari. Good to see you here again. Hey there, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Um, so it's quite a, we had quite a, uh, quite a show today. Um, a very, uh, you know, very, very fast paced. One of the things I've noticed uh, as we as we kind of move forward is uh, uh, Apple has gotten faster and faster paced. I think part of it is because we're not on a stage when we're recorded so we can tie it uh, together just a little bit faster. And so that's been uh, pretty great. Um, I'm going to throw it to uh, Renee to kick it off. Uh, what are the highlights? And we're going to jump into questions and we'll answer a lot of them. We're not going to go through everything that was announced in keynotes. But what are the highlights of the things that you were the most interested in seeing, Renee? So I'm a complete silicon nerd. So just seeing M2 come out, M2 is like the successor to M1 and it's got the, what A14 was to A15, you know, M1 is to M2. So it's got faster single core performance, next generation IP. And it's also got rendering engines, the equivalent rendering engines to the M1 Pro. So if you're doing ProRes, H.264, HEVC in a MacBook Air chassis now, which I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy for ultralight on the go uh, work. Yeah. Anything else that, that really stuck, j jumped out for you? Some of the stuff is just like wish list for a long time, like being able to delete a message and being able to, uh, well, just because this is developer centric, Apple put a lot of frameworks out for developers to do the exact same thing that they were introducing the same year that they introduced it, which sometimes they dog food for a year or two before they make it available to developers. And this year, so much of like widget kit and everything for the lock screen is just available immediately. Yeah. And Justine, what, 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 what jumped out for you? I mean, obviously M2, super exciting because M1 honestly changed my entire workflow. Like I was editing everything off of that 13-inch MacBook Pro for an entire year. Like I didn't even use my Mac Pro. So I'm so excited to see how this is going to kind of shift that change. And also I was kind of excited about the iPad OS updates because over the past, uh, I guess, couple of months, like I've been getting into illustration. I've been using my iPad so much more. And so to be able to have my iPad be more desktop-like, I'm pretty excited about that. I know there's a lot of controversy. They're like, wait, but now is it a computer? What is it, like, is it a, a laptop? What is it? And I think there is such a special place for the iPad that you just can't get with a, a laptop device. So I'm pretty excited about some of the iPad updates for sure. And Adam, uh, what, what uh, jumped out for you? Yeah, three things. So as a user, I really am interested in Stage Manager, both on Mac OS and iPad OS. I have a lot of Windows on Mac OS and they... They're just all over the place. I've tried all these different apps to kind of like manage them and tame them, but nothing really works. But Stage Manager looks really good. As a developer, uh, the improvements to Swift UI and shortcuts. My apps use uh, is built almost entirely on Swift UI and has deep shortcut integration. So, looking forward to what I can do to improve my app that way. And finally, as a human, I'm really jazzed about the running metrics. I run a lot, but I don't think I run well. And I think that these uh, 
these three things that they, they introduced will help me become a better runner. Ari, what, what really jumped out for you? Uh, well, there's, we, I always watched the, the keynote with my friends on Slack and we're audio developers. We're always waiting to see if there's something with audio and there was really nothing uh, except some little bit of spatial audio. But we spent most of the time making fun of the, the keynote and the, everything that comes out. This time I didn't find myself making fun of much because almost everything was interesting. Like there was nothing that was obviously fluff. All the features that they were introducing seemed pretty cool. Um, so aside from everything that people mentioned so far, the only other thing that I would say that I also was interested in was uh, Swift charts. Uh, because I think uh, a good visualization of data is, uh, is something that most developers can't do very easily. So having that extra help from a, a framework that Apple supports, I think, will be really powerful. So, and Can you explain a little bit of what that is? What Swift Charts is? Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, it, it's a way to visualize data as bar charts or line diagrams. Or I think there's also a pie chart in there. Um, and it just looked like they, they did a really good job of making it so developers can pre present that information really cleanly in a standardized way. Um, and if anyone has like read Edward Tufte's books on data visualization, yeah. it's really a tough thing to do. And most people are bad at it. So having Apple come in and say, hey, we're, we're kind of the UI experts and we're going to make your, your, your info look great. I think that will actually be pretty important uh, for a lot of developers. That's great. Um, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to jump right into the questions. We've got over 50 questions. I don't think we'll get to all of them today, but we'll, we'll work, start working through some of them and get, get your impressions on it. Uh, TJ Asher from Minneapolis, Minnesota asks, um, the new passkey feature seems very similar to the SQRL uh, passwordless identity flow that Steve Gibson created and released a couple years ago. That never really caught on. Does the panel think that this new passkey feature will catch on. Uh, Rene, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, I think absolutely, because Apple's doing it in conjunction with Microsoft and Google, and that's an incredibly large footprint across platforms. And it's the same team that's given us great features in the past, like when you get a text message, and it'll also it'll automatically fill the token for you, you know, and all the stuff that they've been building into iCloud Keychain, so it stores your credentials. This is the next step of that. And people are delighted by those features because they're just so well implemented, going back to what we were talking about, like Apple's just really good at user experience. So I think this is going to be the first step towards giving us that passwordless dream in the future. It'll take a couple of years, but I think the implementation is super smart. Justine, do you see this something that you that you're going to start adopting as as it starts to come out? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that I'm always very you know cautious about security. And also over the past year, I've been kind of diving into sort of the Web three space. And now with that, it's interesting because you have a wallet login, so you don't log in traditionally like you normally would do. So being able to kind of have this added security for even like my crypto wallet and things like that is, I think it's it's super powerful, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Ari, are you looking at this as something that you might be, from a framework perspective, something that apps would, would need to have involved? A uh, passkey integration? Yeah, passkey, yeah. I mean, as far as from um, the stuff that you're, you're looking at there. You know, I don't know about that. I think it's really an integration with the web server that, that where this is going to be really important, integration with a central service. Um, I think all app developers are going to have to use it. Um, on a personal level, I'm just excited as everybody else. Like, I don't know if you all have uh, family members uh, that like rely on you for tech support because you're the Apple guy in the family. And just 
not having to deal with my pa- my family's passwords problems will be yeah. so huge. It's, I think it's a great feature. I don't know about for how much of an impact it'll have for me as a developer, right. um, but I think it's great. Yeah. And Adam, do you do you see you're pushing your family into the away from the pass uh, passcodes and into something that makes more sense? Definitely, my family uses one password for family. Uh, and what's good about that is actually I can have access to, say, my parents' passwords if I ever need to get into their accounts because they can't figure it out. So I'm actually kind of curious to see what their family plan is for this passkey approach. So can you delegate someone to have ownership or at least visibility into the passkeys for someone else? Absolutely. I, I think that it just it's interesting to watch how Apple is slowly just closing all the gaps <laughs> you know like just it's just it's not something that's happening overnight it's just something we're just it's just kind of uh you know circling uh the privacy uh, process and letting us get used to one thing until we get to the next um, next question is from keith harrison in london uh, and keith asks uh, continuity camera lets you use your iphone as a wireless webcam uh, what do you think of desk view that mimics the overhead camera to show your desk and face at the same time adam I think this is a great idea. Um, I mean, I have my ATEM right here and I actually had to do this like trick to make it look like it's an overhead cam that's controlling my thing, but it's really, you know, like a, an overlay and then my uh, iPad input and I put like a, a picture on top of it. Um, but if I can just put an iPhone right there and then my iPad right there and I just push a button and then, you know, I don't have to do anything complicated. Renee, you were there, You're, you, you and Justine are there. Do we know how that worked? Is it just is it just literally warping that that wide angle lens? Yeah, so it's using computational photography on the ultra wide angle lens to to basically straighten out the way it was doing previously with like building and architecture to straighten out the bottom part of the ultra wide camera view. So it's splitting it into two parts, giving you the front facing part and then the other part. And I'm curious, like if people are going to copy this, like is Samsung going to put out a phone with a camera on the side to try to do this <laughs> next? Right. It just it's a really clever implementation. Yeah, Justine, it just seems like it was a it, it's a whole new you know use for the phone. Is it you think that you'll end up using it in some of your in some of the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, I used to do editing live streams, and it was so wild because I would have to have like an overhead camera, and I would have the front camera, and then I'd have all these different things and switching between. So it's like now I can just use my iPhone, which is incredible. I mean, it's definitely an interesting use case because I'm not sure how many people would really need that. Like, it's not that common of a thing like, hey, you want to see what I'm typing or keyboard uh, layouts. But I think it's going to be really cool for, you know, if you're working on projects and I feel like this would have been something that was great two years ago when everyone was locked down. Yes, even doing like illustrations and things like that. So what I'm most excited about is to see the unique ways that people use it. Yeah, we do a lot of work with, oh, go, go ahead, Ari. Well, I can tell you right away from my point of view, a great way to use is people have audio apps that make sound and you want to see how to perform it, but you don't want to, uh, you, know, you want to have a clear view of the screen. So you can, uh, you know, have the desk view show the person using the app with their fingers on the actual interface while still showing exactly what's on the interface in a different view, I think, or even just showing their face to make it personal. I think it's going to be huge for, that's uh, like one thing for musicians, it's going to actually be really great. I'm actually curious how it will work, not just on the desk, but maybe pointing down to perhaps somebody having a guitar on or something. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, we work with a lot of uh, teachers and uh, for them, especially during COVID, it was a big deal that they couldn't, you know, how do you sit, get into a situation where you can explain something and then show it at the same time? And I think that that's, that's going to be, um, it could be really, really open up for education of, of trying to show something while you're, while you're starting to, um, while you're trying to explain it. Let's go to the next question. Um, we have John Snyder. Uh, and John Snyder asks, uh, which new OS feature is the hidden gem that you think will catch fire, which will flame and, and which will flame out, even though it had a lot of screen time? Ari, we'll, we'll start with you. Do you have any, anything that you saw that went by that was, uh, was a I little, can... like that you thought, oh, no one's going to, this is going to be a sleeper, that, but it's going to be a big deal? Yeah, so in the past... Uh... Uh, they've released like playgrounds and that was kind of the content, the same sort of thing where playgrounds is pretty cool, but will it will catch on this year? I think for me as a developer, I'm really curious about plugins, about Xcode plugins or Swift package manager plugins that change the way Xcode works because uh, there was plugins in old versions of Xcode. They took those away um, and now they're bringing it back in a way that I think a lot more people, a lot more Swift developers could use and I'm, I'm pretty excited about plugins for things like formatting code, checking, uh, uh, linting and things like that. Um, and even things like coloring your code uh, appropriately could be done with this, I think. So I'm pretty excited about that. Go ahead. Adam, is there anything that you that stuck out for you? A couple of things. So I think the lock screen is, uh, they've been trying to change the lock screen for many, many years. And eventually I think they're going to get it right. And this is probably the first time I looked at the lock screen and said, I can... I can get behind this. I can customize this with the focus views and changing your wallpapers and what appears on it. I didn't really see anything that was kind of like the app clip of WWDC where it's like, oh, no one's using app clips. I've never seen them in the wild. Um, they've been trying to redo the home app several times in the past. And, you know, hopefully, I hope they'll, they'll get it right because I want to use the home app. Uh, but it's still very confusing for me, at least the current version. I don't have a problem with the app as much as just all the hardware that, that tries to, that we try to talk to with it. You know, I keep on buying things and it's not been the most successful thing <laughs> that I've had. No. Justine, what do you think is a sleeper? The messages to, to undo and edit. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And I feel like that's something that people have been asking for for a long time, but how many people will actually use it? What's the implement? Like, how does that going to be implemented? Like, is it only if the message is unread, you can edit? Does anybody know how that kind of works? Or a change log maybe to... So you can't say like, I'm leaving you forever. Oh, no, I don't mean it, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, because there's some controversy too of people on Twitter. They're like, well, what if someone says something mean to you and then they take it back and then you don't have the proof that they said that or something like that. So I'm curious to see how that kind of all yeah, works I was, out. I was going to say it was, it was a delay. Sure. If it was like a delay that it's it's delaying it to give you a second to to reconsider. But you can delete them too, which is great because like no evidence. Yeah. I think it's probably if it's unread, then you can do it. But if it's right. red, then it's it's done. Or maybe like you said, like a time limit. Because even like Twitter, they're Twitter blue when you pay for yeah. their subscription. It gives you that kind of... Because you could gaslight people, right? Like I never said that. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. So I'm interested to see how that works. But I know I've definitely sent things to the wrong people. And I'm just like, oh, can I can I go run away now? I just <laughs> exactly. like leave conversation. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had some emails that I sent that way. I don't, yeah, yeah. As, soon as, as soon as you hit go, you're like... <sighs> It's the wrong person. Yes. Well, yeah, it's in a, the yeah. new mail app, though, now you can undo the yeah. send. And yeah. so that's that's exciting. And again, I feel like that must be, there must be a delay in the server. So they're getting it a little bit late um, because I, because once it gets to another server, there'd be no control. So I think right. that it must be a, uh, unless it's, unless it's a HTML where it just goes, oh, it's gone. 
you know, like I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna show it to you, Renee. What do you think are the what's the sleeper? I think the sleeper was actually uh, foundational because a lot of times at WWDC previously they would announce everything was coming in the fall and then they would have to delay some features because they just weren't ready in time to ship and we get things like uh, universal control in the spring instead of in the fall and this year Craig's language was very specific to coming later like there was some stuff that was coming now and it was more like what I've always been hoping where WWDC sets the roadmap for the next year it's not one monolithic release in the fall that has everybody scrambling to try to get ready but it's like this is what we're going to be introducing over the next six months I think that's a much more reasonable schedule for people inside Apple, but also developers who are like under pressure to implement all this stuff so they get featured on the App Store, but also so their email stops going, when are you going to give me this feature? Right, right, exactly. You know, the, the thing that, I, that I'm really going to be interested to see how far we can push it is the driver kit. You know, so the Apple driver kit, um, which wasn't mentioned in the keynote, but was talked about later, um, is, is something that uh, now you can basically put a USB interface uh, so if you have some kind of audio interface and we think video interface, uh, it can actually talk to the to your iPad. And we have been waiting for that for, you know, like yeah. a decade. Like it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Oh, and um, iPad got swapped. So like, like iOS originally had no concept of swap. It would just have memory pressure and then it would jet some apps if there was if it needed memory. And so that app would just be killed. And now, like if you have an M1 iPad, it will handle it like a Mac and just page out memory to the SSD, which is huge for big apps like Procreate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we also have the weather app for the <laughs> iPad, which got a, a crazy amount of cheers from the audience. But no calculator. No calculator. Still. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, the, and, the, um, and the weather app. Do we think this is from Dark Sky? Is I this believe the, it is, yeah. 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 Which dark, I have to admit, Dark Sky is still the thing that I, I refer to when I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen next. <laughs> um, uh, next question is from Jacob Goodnight. Um, and Jacob uh, asks, um, could... Uh, continuity camera eliminate the need for Filmic Pro, Epic Cam, and other apps that turn the iPhone into a webcam. Uh, Justine, what do you think? I think there's still use for that because with Filmic Pro, like you're able to go in and actually edit and kind of do manual settings. So I feel like with that, like you were saying, if you're playing the guitar, maybe you don't want it to be a completely face down uh, view. Maybe you want it to be up a little bit to try to get you know the, the proper shot. So I feel like they'll still be use for that because you'll still be able to adjust things. So I'm, I, I think they'll figure something out to make it useful. Renee, do, do you know, is it with these cameras, I, mean, I know that not everybody has multiple cameras, but do you know if you can wirelessly connect more than one camera to, to the system? They didn't say you could. And I always, I always default to if they didn't say it, you probably can't do it. doesn't mean like someone like you won't figure out how to hack their way around it. <laughs> but I think like for a normal user, it's just meant to be a very simple plug and play operation. Adam, do you think this is a, a problem for these these camera apps? Apple has a history of Sherlocking apps, but at the same time, they leave room for apps to kind of enhance their stock apps. You take a look at the Apple Design Awards. Halite 2 just won an ADA award, and that's a camera app. So even though they're adding more features to the kind of the stock app and enhancing with like continuity camera, there's still going to be room for innovation in the third-party market. Hey, Moriarty, Apple right back. Good apps. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that it's, it's always about doing something a little different, don't you think, Ari? Because, you know, a lot of times, like, for instance, GarageBand, there's someone on YouTube, I can't think of their name right now, that does these incredible compositions on GarageBand. And it's, it's, you realize that GarageBand on the phone does an enormous amount, but you still have audio developers building, uh, music developers building something that's a very specific thing that's, that's distinct from the, the feature set that, would, that, you'd, that, you, that you'd have in the stock apps. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think I've had anything more to add to the conversation, though. I think you guys covered it. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, Filmic Pro, for instance, I think does so many other things. Like, I don't think that Filmic Pro has to worry about Epic Cam, I think, is, is prob- a little bit more problematic for them. They're going to try to figure out what, where they fit into that. I, there's other apps like Shoot. Um, Shoot is one that we use a lot because you can telestrate on it. So you can you can have your, your camera looking at it and then you can draw on it with your finger uh, and circle things that you're shooting video of. So I think that uh, finding something that makes them different, I think, is going to be uh, pretty important. So. I think it gets people interested in the space and then they sometimes they need more and they gravitate towards an app that does more and better. So it can also sometimes spark interest. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, next question is from Keith Harrison again in London. And he said, uh, will you use Stage Manager to organize your windows on the Mac and or the iPad? Adam? I definitely will be using Stage Manager. In fact, I got an M1 iPad Pro today just to install iOS 16. And I couldn't find the controls for Stage Manager. So maybe they're not in there yet. But definitely looking forward to using it to tame my windows on my Mac and to bring windows to my iPad. Ari, do you see this? Does does that look and feel? Is that something that you're interested in? Yeah, very much. Uh, I'm still waiting for the Swift packages to be closer and closer to Xcode and its capabilities. Um, And I think having a better windowing system is a great first step towards that. So without that, I don't think we're going to see like Xcode for the iPad. But once we have Stage Manager, I could almost see uh, more windows and more uh, controls for like bigger and bigger apps. So I think it allows for complexity that we weren't uh, kind of expecting out of iPad apps so far. Justine, is this the kind of layout that, that you're interested in? Yeah, because I was even editing for a while on LumaFusion. So doing that and then now being able to attach a, you know ex- external monitor is going to be incredible because I'm not just mirroring. So I'll actually be able to kind of edit full screen and then I can still have my iPad and be able to kind of see everything that I have open. Uh, I mean, we saw some demos from afar and I was like, I just wanted to get my hands on it. So hopefully when I get back to the hotel, I can install the beta and test it out. But you said you didn't see it in there yet though, correct? I didn't see that little icon in the bottom right corner of my windows, but maybe there's some setting I need to turn on. I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely excited to try it out. I think it'll change a lot of people's workflow too, because it it is a different kind of concept. Yeah, Renee, something you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the for for both the Mac and the iPad, I'm not sure it goes far enough for my needs. Like, I really want the Windows snapping and the ability to set up multiple applications, like in a in a Windows Windows way. And this this is a much better at just managing multiple apps, but not in layout yet. So I think it's an important step there, but I don't think it, I don't think it does window management as well as windows yet. And I really want them to beat windows at that game. <laughs> um, the next question is, is also from Keith, Keith Harrison with a lot of, a lot of upvotes for Keith's uh, questions here. I think he's, he's got the pulse of, of the folks here. Um, uh, uh, he said, uh, driver kit makes it easier to port existing audio and PC, PCI drivers to the iPad in the state of the union showed a focus, right? Claret and what else do you think or that, that you hope will be connected to the iPad? Ari, do you have any, uh, any wish list for, for this kind of thing? Not exactly. I mean, as I, th- I feel like most of the modern uh, like music equipment has been pretty uh, iPad friendly. So if this just continues that trend, I think that's good. But I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't see that and immediately say, oh, that's, I know exactly what needs to use it. Renee, do you do you have any any a wish list? 
Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it's like, well, the software hardware solution, because one of the things that's been holding the iPad back is that iOS doesn't really have a sense of multiple audio sources. So we couldn't do the kind of things we do on the Mac, like have someone on Skype and someone recording locally at the same time, like just the flexibility to do a full on podcast production. And if this can not only like if driver kit combined with better audio APIs could allow us to do like the full thing. Uh, then that would be, it's already an incredible like video editing solution, like Justine said, but if it could be a full podcasting solution or a full live music solution, that would be terribly exciting. Right. Well, me and my sister, actually, we started our podcast because of the iPad, those little commercials where they show you things you can do on your iPad. And they're like, you can podcast. I'm like, no, we can't. And so we ended up starting our podcast because of the iPad and we recorded the first several episodes. She recorded her audio on hers. I recorded my audio on mine and then we just kind of merged them together. And yeah. it was kind of impressive because it's such a small device too. And you could do that anywhere. Yeah. I know that I have a, you know, I, I, I have this little thing that does this, this little telestrator that, that I oh, can, um, that. So I can cool. do it. That is an app written on the, on the Mac with a Wacom tablet that's wired into a, to an ATEM. It's a big mess. It's a lot of wires for that. And I I have been waiting for the iPad to be able to see video coming into it for a long time. So so I'm hoping that we're going to see uh, the ability to do video um, into it as well, because there's a lot of draw on and interact with the with the, um, the the video that's not limited just to the camera that the iPad has. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And it's not hacking the kernel or doing anything dangerous or crash your machine or like it's all a very safe architecture at this point, too. Yeah. Adam, do you, do, is there anything Do you have any wish lists? For, for what's going to be connected? Uh, nothing to add for this question. Maybe yeah. the next one. Okay. Uh, next question is from Chris uh, Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. And he said, since the USB driver kit framework uh, should allow access to USB capture devices, how long until we see an ATEM source support on <laughs> the iPad OS? Adam? I think I'm going to be attending a lab this week and I'll ask him that question. Yeah, no, no, Adam, what we're hoping is, is that you'll come back on Thursday and give us a report. So, you know, we're, for those listening, this is the evening session, Tuesday, tomorrow, we're talking about audio video, we're going to hopefully have these guys come back if they're willing to. Um, Wednesday is AR, um, and, um, and then kind of a, a kind of a catch all on Thursday morning, just as part of office hours, second hours. Um, but Adam, if, if you came back on Thursday and gave us a, you know, even if you just come in, tell us how that worked, we'd be excited. So, we'll um, do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead um, and, uh, and, and jump into the uh, next question. This next question is from Guy Cochran. Um, and uh, Guy asks, uh, do you think that boot camp will ever become available on the M1 or the M2? Renee? It's challenging because my understanding is that Qualcomm secured an exclusive license to Windows on ARM uh, for who knows how long. And that's really what you'd need. Microsoft would have to license Windows to ARM for ARM to Mac ARM users in order to be able to use it. Uh, so I think it's more of a Apple and Microsoft have to get together and figure their way around it. Uh, and then I'm not sure if they would do bootcamp because I think they have very dedicated hypervisor acceleration inside M1, presumably even better inside M2. And that would let you run them almost simultaneously as fast as you used to be able to do in bootcamp. Have you used bootcamp anytime recently, uh, Justine? No, I honestly can't remember the last time I did. It's I mean, been a little while. Yeah. And, and it's like, if I, I want to use Windows, I have, you know, I'll bring my Surface with me. So yeah. it's it's easy to travel with those types of things. But I mean, I think it would be great. But for me, it's it's not necessary at all. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, next question is uh, from Matt Sloan in Phoenix, Arizona. And Matt asks, um, what uses could metal effects upscaling have in video production workflows? The keynote focused 
on its use in gaming, but does does the panel think it has a wider potential? Uh, Renee, what do, what do you think about that? I think metal is a really interesting framework because it, it's such an abstraction. It lets Apple like do changes to the GPUs like we're getting with M2 without it disrupting developers. They can just write this stuff. And I'm not a game dev by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can create those kinds of assets that get upscaled in the uh, in the pipeline, I think that would have a lot of uh, potential for video, especially if, you're, if your source is limited. Like right now an Atom, for example, gives you 1080p out. If that could be automatically upscaled to 4K, 8K at some point at a hardware level, that's super interesting for the kind of work that we're doing. Adam, do you see any possibility do, uh, of, of video versus gaming um, as, as far as different challenges? I think if there's some product in the AR space that's coming out, maybe uh, developers can take advantage of metal upscaling right. um, and basically like creating like a virtual set behind the camera. So the camera would like read you and maybe put something else in place of you and then recreate the background. Uh, they can certainly use some of those techniques, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, as far as the, the upscaling goes, uh, video is a lot more complicated than games, typically, uh, as far as that goes. And I think that the scaling may be a little limited, you know, in that area. Um, it may not may not work as well. But we have seen a bunch of a lot of those kinds of things in TVs. But I think to get the kind of scaling they're looking for, I think that it, it could be a little bit more complicated. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, next question is from Jeff Vreeland in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Jeff asks, uh, with Metal uh, version 3 being released, do we expect to see a bigger uptick in AAA, AAA games uh, coming to the Mac? Justine, do you think that you see yourself playing a lot of games on, uh, on the Mac? I mean, as a gamer, it has been my dream to be able to say that I can game on a Mac and it's okay. Because I feel like even growing up, I think it was when I first got, I think it was like the, the G3. And I used to go to LAN yeah. parties in, in in high school and I was the only person that would bring their Mac there. And I obviously couldn't play all the games. So it's, it's it honestly has been a childhood dream to be able to be like, look, I've got my Mac and I can game just like any of you. So I definitely think that it will make a difference. And, you know... The fact that we can even connect our, all any console controllers now to all of our devices is really cool. I'm just waiting for them to bring back Marathon. Um, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Renee. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's what I think Apple's advantage right now is that with the M series, they have a very focused target for the SOCs, everything from iPhone all the way up to Mac. And that's more enticing for a developer. And I think developers are also less afraid of SOCs now because the, the current generation PlayStation and Xbox are APUs, which are very similar in design. They have more graphics horsepower in them, but the, the layout is very similar. So I think it's just a matter of really getting the studios on board and not just to do a minimal loadable port like some of the like Tomb Raider really like they made it run, but that's the extent of their effort they put into it. But if it becomes like you can make it on the iPad, it'll run on the on the Mac as well. That's a much bigger market. And if you can make it for one thing and it runs on all of these things, that's much less work. And I think just on top of that, selling it to the studios uh, will get there slowly. Ari, do you see the metal, a lot of the metal calculations or the metal um, framework uh, affecting audio apps at all? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we've never really uh, had audio apps that required uh, a lot of video. I mean, nobody's like the, the people put a lot of work into games because they make money. But I don't even know if it's if it's worth it in the like the music uh, space to put that kind of effort into the the visual part of a, of a sound app. Yeah, you know, I I I thought about that. You know, when I I started playing with this app uh, called um, uh, Face Plan. 
which I don't know if you're familiar with or not, that, that it was, was a phase as in P-H-A-S-E. And it's got a lot of visualization to it and a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And I think that at some points it got a little chunky on, on one of the, my older computers. And, and I was thinking, oh, this could be, you know, like th- this might be something where that processing could uh, be useful, but we'll, we'll have to see. I, I think my Kingdom Rush, which is the only game I really play on my iPhone, um, probably is going as fast as it can go. <laughs> uh, next, next question is from uh, Jason Panks in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, and Jason asks, oh, what are your thoughts on matter for uh, the Internet of Things devices uh, being based on HomeKit and Zigbee? Uh, go ahead, uh, Renee. Yeah, I think Apple, I don't want to say they made a mistake, but I think they were overly generous with vendors in the very beginning of the home setup. And they let the vendor apps control everything. And they were universally a horrible experience. And so Apple made the home app. And that did a lot to sort of give you a much more centered uh, concentrated experience. And I've got the second version of the home app and they've got matter, which I'm hoping because it's a more like a universal standard that the terrible vendor apps will just disappear and you'll be able to run everything off of the home app and off of matter and not have to deal with the sort of huge complexity headaches that came with previous generation home products. Justine, do you, do you use a lot of the home kit or any of the home kit? I mean, I use so many smart home yeah. products and still I'm like, I'm incredibly tech savvy. So it's so difficult for me to like understand how some people can actually figure this out like just your normal everyday average consumers because it's like i'm trying to explain to like my parents or my grandmother it's like wait what and like the app it has potential so i'm very excited to see like the next version if that solves all of our pain points like i say yo siri and my studio turns on the lights all go on the the cameras go on the blackout blinds come down (laughs) it's literally amazing and more working more easily in that setup is just fantastic you're way ahead of me, Renee. I, I keep on buying things and I I, I don't say you know, Siri, I say a lot of horrible things. I can't get I can't get the thing to work. So I you know, like I, I I've kind of I keep waiting for HomeKit to turn. I got the HomeKit power bars and then I just plug everything to the power bars and then those just have to work. The Which Elgato power, power bars. Which the Elgato bars? ones. Okay. I'm buying the wrong ones yeah. because I, I keep on buying ones that say that they work with HomeKit and then they and again, I don't think this is as much Apple as much as the the, the manufacturers. It's the vendors, just, yeah. You know, the vendors just not playing hard enough. All right. Uh, next question is from Ken Jones in Seattle. And, uh, and Ken asks, is an M2 Air too much computer for one, uh, for one just entering American high school? Uh, would it be better to choice uh, to look at the market for a refurb M1 or even an Intel? Too much. Justine, is, this, is, is the M2 Air too much for, for someone I mean, starting high you're school? you're asking the wrong person because <laughs> um, I would definitely be like, no, you need that. But Coming back to what I said originally was the M1 13-inch was life-changing. And I think if you can get those refurbished ones and if you are looking to cut costs, I don't think that I would go back to Intel. I would definitely recommend getting an M1 if you can find one that's less expensive than the new Air. Definitely go for it. But I would not go to Intel at all. I mean, I love you, Intel, but the way that M1 has been going, like it's worked so great. Yeah, Renee, what would you recommend for a, a high school? We had mutual friends from the Pro Workflows team at the event demonstrating like DaVinci Resolve running at 24 gigabytes on the MacBook Air, which blew my mind. Like it was using every bit of memory they could throw at it. So like you can do amazing, impressive stuff. And I think that has some appeal depending on what kind of work you want to do, because there's a lot of high school kids who start YouTube channels and do a lot of things like that. But what I liked is that 
Apple kept the M1 MacBook Air around at just $999. So that's a tremendous value for students. And like you mentioned, like you can get refurb M1s now that are even slightly lower and they go on sale at other retailers for like a hundred bucks off sometimes. And that's an incredible value um, for like a, just a, a student who wants a machine that'll last for eight to 10 hours while they're at school. And you can still become a YouTuber on an M1 yes. MacBook Air easily, like yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Adam, uh, what, what what's your advice? I agree with everything that's been said. Don't go Intel. Uh, if you're price <laughs> conscious, get an M1 Air or, you know, you want to be a little future proof, get an M2 Air or even consider it something like an iPad Air with an external keyboard. I think uh, the power that's in those devices is, is perfectly suitable for someone who's in high school. You know, we, we say in office hours a lot, buy once, cry once. Yeah. So, so well, I would the, say. the Intel ones still come with a free space heater. So if that, like if you're, if it's really cold where you are, <laughs> that could be an advantage, but otherwise no. Yeah, I would never buy an Intel. <laughs> for, for, no, no one, you know, friends don't buy friend, friends yes. Intel Macs anymore. Yeah. Intel's a great company, but the it's, it's, it's done. The competition <laughs> on, on is the good. Like the competition done. is good. They're already responding yeah. with Alder Lake. So like it's better for everybody when there's good competition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question is from Laura Thompson in uh, Texas. Um, and uh, Laura asks, um, yeah, can you talk about the new features in safety check and are they aimed at yeah. preventing or inter- intervening in domestic abuse or IPV? Uh, go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I think that's a really great feature because there are, I, I need to learn more about it. Like I need to learn what happens with, for example, um, family sharing and parental controls because some people in abusive relationships will put parental controls on other people's phones. And But just the ability to blow away all this stuff instantly if you decide to make a move or to leave or to go to one of the shelters, that is that is literally life-saving for people. And I love that Apple is thinking, you know, how can we help uh, multiple stages along along that vector. Yeah, Justine. No, I think it's great. And it's setting a precedent for other companies to take this into accountability too. It's like, okay, if Apple is doing this and kind of pushing the industry forward and saying that this is something that could potentially save lives. I mean, I think out of everything that they announced, I think that was really a huge win. And I think it's super powerful. Yeah. Uh, next question is um, from uh, uh, Peter Buck and Ari. I'm going to come to you on this one because I know you watch with your friends. Uh, Peter Buck in San Francisco asks, um, regarding WWC production, what topic transition did Alex and the panel, A, like the most and B, dislike the most? So while you're hanging out with your friends watching this, what transition stood out? <laughs> well, um, Throwing, I think curve. the one... The one that uh, threw uh, that I, I was most surprised by was when uh, uh, Scott was Scott. He went away really, really fast, and then they put a slow motion where he was running in slow motion, and there was like this. I think it was uh, Craig. Old, Craig. Oh, Craig! Yeah, Craig uh, with some rock music, like some kind of the Baywatch. Yeah, yeah. It was it was too long and a little weird. Uh, I don't know why they do that. That doesn't seem like it's, it's just a little, little it's too for much. The meme. For me. It's going to be memed a hundred times. Yep. hundred yeah. percent for the meme. Like that was my favorite because it was so awkward and it was intentional and they knew exactly what they were doing with that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. We just, we just it was like the MacBook we opening from it. like two years ago, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. Adam, what, what stood out for you? I liked when Craig went down deep into the balls of uh, Apple Park. I mean, I was just looking at that saying, I want that intro for my videos. <laughs> it de- it de- definitely felt a little like Get Smart. The maglev. <laughs> yes, it, it was a maglev. Was... Instead of teleportation, he had a maglev. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the, um, uh, 
I our our team when we were watching it just blew up watching the Craig <laughs> Craig running really slowly with the it wasn't just that he was running slowly it was all the lighting it was just the super cheese I mean it was just cheddar all over the walls and and they knew it and it was good great tongue in cheek so it, it was, was David a, Hasselhoff moment for him oh my gosh it was so great <laughs> anyway so yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, next question is from Robert Soji in Los Angeles California and he said uh, could the new app shown today be a replacement for Zoom, the new which new app was so shown that was going to be a replacement? The for collaboration Zoom? one, where you got maybe, to do the whiteboard. Maybe oh, the collaboration yeah. one there. Yeah. What do you? Uh, 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 what do you think, Renee? Uh, I'm I'm interested in general, like like the investment they've made in FaceTime, where you can now go into the the FaceTime conversations and be able to go back and forth between sharing different media and also doing that whiteboard collaboration. I'm gonna have to wait for you to tell me how effective it is compared to other products, you know, because like uh, it's it's not as universal still. Like it's Mac or uh, like Apple Gear or and the web, and that might be enough for a lot of people. Um, and the visual quality looks really really good, and the collaboration features look good. You can share your PowerPoints, not your PowerPoints, your keynotes, and your numbers and all of those things. So I think it's it's got a lot of interesting characteristics. Justine, what do you think? I'm excited because I do all of my notes, outlines, scripts, everything in just notes. And then I share that with either my editor or whatever. I mean, trip planning, I do everything in the notes app. <laughs> like my notes app is so out of control. So it's going to be really cool to kind of take that to another level and kind of have more collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, I, uh, I do the same thing you do. I mean, everything, my, my whole world is inside of notes, yep. you know, just, I just, you know, all my scripts and every, every ideas that I have and everything else is also. It just sinks everywhere. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Perfect. That said, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a replacement for Zoom. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't so think so either. Well, I feel like Zoom yeah. is a very specific thing and it works across so many different platforms. And at this point it's so widely adopted and people have figured it out. They've made it work. So I don't think it's a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like, this is like the hey look this plane can do a barrel roll and then zoom is more like the aircraft carrier that that thing would land on <laughs> if you could hold your you finger know, down so on a like, picture and it would auto cut it and you could drag it to the facetime window yeah. that would be something yeah, go ahead adam next year i'm just gonna say i had to recuse myself on this question yeah yeah, yeah i'm it's... an indie developer i also happen to work at zoom so yeah yeah but today i'm it's my, opinion's my own yeah yeah absolutely um uh, next next question is uh, uh from douglas carmichael and douglas says uh, asks currently i have a 2013 mac pro uh won't run uh, ventura uh along with a 2017 macbook pro and an iphone 6s which will also won't run ios 16 for an aspiring ios developer who hopes to do it full-time an electronic music producer where should i prioritize my upgrade ari i think this one's squarely in your arena yeah uh boy as a developer uh he's gonna have to get used to the apple tax which is that he's gonna have to have a lot of devices that he he ends up keeping them all you're not you actually don't necessarily want to upgrade to the greatest latest greatest stuff um because you want to make sure that other people like the the lion's share of your consumers are going to have the same experience you do so um i say don't upgrade um, keep the old one and uh, do what you can to make money to to buy more devices. It just developers have to have more than one device to test, to test on. I mean, it seems like whether it's a newest one or not, you might need a newer computer to run Xcode on, and yeah. a, and and maybe an iPad or or iPhone to. What do you think, Renee? 
Yeah, I think if you're specifically an iOS developer, uh, you'll want to look at, again, like maybe just an M1 MacBook Air or a refurb or a discounted M1 MacBook Air. Uh, and then I don't think you even need the latest iPhone. Like iPhone 11 is a tremendous value at the moment. iPhone SE is a tremendous value at the moment. And that'll at least get your foot in the door. And then, you know, to the previous point, uh, you can start making money and then then you can start deducting your hardware <laughs> upgrades. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, next question is from Eric Nathan in uh, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, and uh, and Eric asks, does anyone know if the FaceTime captions are exportable after the conversation ends? Does anyone know how that works? I believe the caption system, I don't know specifically for FaceTime, but I believe the caption system does provide the ability for you to, to put in places, but would have to check up on exactly how that works. Yeah, a lot of times when these capture systems first come out, I've watched them begin in many platforms. They don't save anywhere. <laughs> they're just happy that they're showing up on the screen. I'm happy uh, they'll do punctuation now for extended uh, dictation. Yeah. Also excited yeah. about that. Because yeah. anytime I'm like, question mark, period, smiley face. <laughs> but I say that now to people when I'm talking. Like, it's, I've been so trained by like Siri <laughs> that now, like I'll be t- sending a, vo- a voice message, you hold the thing down. Hi, Justine, exclamation point. And you realize, no, it's just recording me. I, my question is because, okay, so I get panicky when people send me voice memos because I'll sometimes listen to them. And then I'm like, okay, and then I have to keep listening to, to gather what they said. Is, are they going to have transcriptions for voice memos? I believe so. I think that's the question here is, is whether yeah. we're getting transcription from it or not. I so hope so. It sounds like at system level. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. By the way, for our, our folks that are in, in Makana who are asking these questions, make sure to vote on these questions. There's no way we're going to get to the bottom of them. We've answered, we've done pretty good. We've answered 18 of them. We still got 66 left. And I just don't think that everyone's going to stay here all night. So uh, make sure to jump in and, and prioritize <laughs> these real quickly. Let, I love that Google I.O. that they added so many iOS features that were so helpful and beneficial. And I love that WWDC, they added a lot of the similar kind of Google AI text, rent, like speech to text features that were so useful because for end users, consistency is a feature. Um, And I just want the good stuff everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Next question is from James in San Diego. And he says, uh, when might Apple announce their new devices, such as an M2 MacBook Pro 16-inch or a new Apple TV? Do we we have any? uh, I I feel like if we just look back at when they've previously released things, it would be around that same time frame. Because I feel like they kind of have this flow now and they just kind of follow that kind of time frame. Yeah, I agree. I think like we saw, I think like M1 got artificially ex- extended a bit because of all the lockdowns and a lot of the issues. And I think it'll tighten up a little bit. But my guess would be 12 to 18 months for a new M series. And then the rest of that year will be the Pro Max Ultra version. And so they'll scale the architecture and then they'll scale out the core count. The new Apple TV, they, we just had one <laughs> last April and they don't update those all the time. But I think the like w- Apple's work with VR, uh, mixed reality and AR uh, is going to largely be based on the same kind of apps that we have on the Apple TV now. And it would be nice if that sort of work was kept current. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have something that can take full advantage of those capabilities at the same time. Yeah, I, I thought we might see an update to the, the Apple TVs, the, the TVOS, given that the TVOS can do 124K. It's it's in there. Like it's in the hardware. Just no one's turned it on. So yeah. it's it's an interesting uh, uh, puzzle. And and when, when they did the announcement, the other thing I thought of related to this question was, well, no one's going to buy a Mac, Mac, Mac Pro 16-inch. <laughs> you know, not like as soon as you announce it, I feel like that has to come out relatively quickly because, you know, I know that everybody's now going to freeze, like just waiting for an M2 unless they absolutely well, if you to. need the cores, like the thing is like the M2 is going to give you faster single core, but if you still need 60, 32 or 64 GPUs, 
it's going to take a year to get that with M2, like conceivably, uh, you know, eight, eight months to a year. So if you need those cores now, just get those cores now. Yeah. Uh, Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California. This one's for me. Uh, <laughs> hey, Alex, just curious. Can we discuss the new Mac mini update? I lost a lot of money to Chris today. <laughs> so, so Chris and I had a, a gentleman's bed that involved somebody. And, he, and that, that a new Mac mini would come out before WWDC. And now WWDC has started. And I can't. I keep on trying to call the Mac Studio a um, Mac mini tower. Uh, but a Mac evidently, mighty. Evidently, I'm still going to have to um, pay up. All right. It should so be anyway. soon, though, because we got the other two uh, basic levels. Yeah. Soon is not enough. Okay, <laughs> not not for me. So <laughs> so anyway, so that's uh, anyway, so th- that's that's all that was for. Uh, next question is from uh, Emily Sosa, and Emily asks, "What is something that was announced that what that you hope was different?" <laughs> so what 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 did they announce? Something that you were like, "Oh, that's great! I wish it wasn't that way." Uh, Ari, did you see any anything that that popped out that that showed up in a way that uh, you didn't wasn't quite what you wanted? Yeah. Let me think about it. Come back to me. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Renee. So th- this, this, I'm just using this to air sour grapes at this point, but like, I love all the fintech features, like the financial technology features that Apple has been rolling out. So like uh, Apple card and Apple cash and now the tap to pay, but they're all US only still. And I know that international, it's super hard because like, for example, in, in Canada, we have chartered banks, so they're not competitive at all. They have no incentive to give us those, to work with Apple on those features. But I am so jealous that that you are getting all of those. And I was just hoping that that announcement would also include, and we're bringing it to the UK, Canada, and Australia, and then other countries in the future. Right, I'm a huge CarPlay fan. And I was just hoping that after they showed how incredible it was that they were going to say, and Tesla decided to integrate CarPlay because that is the one thing that I hate about my Tesla is I can't use CarPlay. I love CarPlay so much. And it just, it makes me really sad. Let it run on, like Android Auto, you can run it on your phone or your tablet. Let us run it on our phone or our tablet and mount it on Tesla's. Right, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I know that they had to, I know that they had to um, announce this really early to get market market pressure. But when they said that the CarPlay, I, and I've really gotten into into CarPlay. I mean, I first, I mean, for years, I just ignored it. I was like, <laughs> I don't need it. Because the, the most useful part of the screen on my computer was to put a suction cup on it so that it would, my <laughs> iPad could, you know, just attach to it. And so I just was like, I don't need that. And uh, then when they said it was early, what was it, late next year? Yeah. It's like 18 months away. I was like, Car companies are so slow. I know. I know. It was also it was funny, like, the, the percentages that they said. It was like, I forget what it was. It was like 80%. I don't remember what the percentage was, but it was a random stat. Yeah. It was like 79% people won't even look at a car if it doesn't have car play. I was yeah. like, wait, is that, how do you, how do you judge that? How did you get that number? But I, I get it because it really <laughs> is incredibly helpful. The number seems really high, but I know that I would not buy a car without a CarPlay at this point. Like, yeah. it, you know, like I would, it, that would not be an option mm-hmm. for me. Now go ahead, Adam. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it doesn't come as a surprise, but some features that are locked behind having certain products. So for instance, Stage Manager requires like an M1 processor on the iPad. So if you have uh, an older iPad, maybe one that was an iPad mini from last year, you can't use it. So right. that's kind of like a bummer, uh, but that's par for the course. Um, they want you to upgrade their hardware. Well, and it might be optimized for the chip as well. I mean, I think that the problem is they're using. Certainly, their, there's yeah. Certainly, Apple's there's not a known reason for, for it. If it Apple's drops a frame, they won't ship it. Yeah, Apple's not known for backwards compatibility. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things they're known for, but like worrying about what the older machine does, not one of their not one of their <laughs> strong suits. Uh, Ari, was there anything that you saw that 
No, sorry. Coming up empty. Nope. I think uh, everything they came up with just in my mind became what it was. I didn't uh, hear anything yeah. and thought, oh, that's something else. Uh, Emily also asks, uh, what surprised you the most about this event? Renee, was there anything that popped out for you? Yeah, again, it was just there. The, when Craig's phrasing that stuff was coming later in the year and not everything coming in the fall, to me, you know, I didn't think they would do that. I thought they would stick to, because like sometimes when you're running a race, it's good to have a finish line. Like if the finish line is ambiguous, you don't run as fast. You don't like, you don't think about it as much. So even if you never, if it takes you longer, just having that finish line is a nice mental model. But they went ahead and sort of said, okay, we're having three finish lines now. And that was a surprise to me. Yeah. Justine, anything? I think I was surprised that it was in person and I saw people and it was wild. (laughs) So it was actually really fun. And they did it a little bit different this year. Normally we're in the Steve Jobs Theater. So they had it kind of at the cafe, the Mac Cafe, and it was outside. So you kind of really felt like this freeing, just really fun vibe like that i think for me was kind of the most surprising thing and obviously people watching at home didn't get to experience that but we also were experiencing the same thing because we were basically watching just the live feed out in the open with everyone so it was really really fun so it's a little little bit of covid conscious right so you're outside um you have an led wall is that is that what they did yeah how did they light that Alex, I was going to ask you because at Steve Jobs Theater, they have double Dolby Vision projectors with like Dolby technicians sitting on them. And this was like outside. It was super bright and you could still see the screen really well. Yeah. Was, it an L- was it an LED wall? I'm I think not sure. We were pretty far away from it yeah. and we still could see yeah. it pretty well. Yeah, usually those, those outdoor ones, you can get those LED walls pretty darn bright. <laughs> so they, the, the projectors don't, don't, uh, don't compete very well, but the, the LED walls um, are... Or, uh, can put out a lot of light. Usually nice. when we're putting them behind a stage, if we're doing an event, we have them turned all the way down. So when you think about when you were in something like WWDC in, in um, San Jose, and it would look somewhat bright to you. We have a, it's like 20%. <laughs> nice. It's like, they're not even, they're not even playing. I think that the, uh, the thing that probably surprised me the most was that wide angle distortion off, off yeah. of that camera. I was like, like we were like, are they using a separate camera? Because we were like, there was like a little bit of it, and then suddenly I said, no, they're distorting them wide angle, and we were like, oh, you know, like that's that's a that's a flex, that's a flex. It was impressive. Yeah, that or Craig running in slow motion. <laughs> they have with, big uh, compute. That's that's what they want to show off is big compute. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, next question is from Juan C. Robles in Mexico City, and uh, and Juan asks, how could room plan? Uh, be leveraged to improve planning and executing live events. I don't know if I remember room plan. Did I miss that in the announcements? Is that an Apple thing? I don't or is remember that a, either. Was that it, maybe something that they did after with like in-depth the developer? I don't know. Yeah, if it's, if it's a general question, there's a lot of room planners. And so if that's an app that I may not have bought yet around room plan, there's a lot of apps out there that you can kind of tap on the walls and it'll build you a a layout of that. Um, and so you can, that's actually a pretty useful tool. I use a, uh, an app called Polycam that is, that lets me just kind of wave my phone around and build a 3d model of, of what I'm doing. Uh, but room plan may be the iOS app, um, that, that does that. And, um, for us, uh, for, for live events, we use, uh, some kind of data about the room for almost everything. So I, 
I have to admit, most events that I work on nowadays, we send a LIDAR in, a Faro or a, or a BLK360 and just, just grab, the, grab all the data on smaller rooms. And it's mostly because the, da- the, the rooms are so big. You know, if we're doing a big event, the, the iPhone quite, won't quite hack it. For smaller events, though, we use the iPhone and, and uh, you just grab, grab the data. I walked into a bar in Mill Valley and just while I was waiting for the band to show up, um, you know, to talk until we were supposed to have a meeting, I just wandered around the bar. And before when, when they showed up, I had all 3D model. So then we could talk about how we were going to use it. Um, anyway, there's there's a session tomorrow on it. Uh, create parametric 3D room scans with room plans. So I think we'll know more after that session. So it's a it is a it is a it, it's an Apple library. So this isn't an app. This is it's a, an API that Apple has is giving to developers. So it's not an app. It's a, for us to figure out well, how to use. So it's kind of nice that they're giving access to this sort of thing to us rather than like keeping it internal and coming out with the app for themselves. It's really, it's exciting. I feel bad for the apps that, that went through the trouble of figuring out how to do this themselves, you know, like how to, you know, build all those things out. But I'm super excited as a user. I'm super excited about the, the, the fact that um, a lot of apps will come out <laughs> that, that take to have their own take. And what Apple seems to be doing really well is we'll do all the hard lifting for you in some of these areas. You think creatively about how, you know, what the UI is going to be like and what's the user experience. And so the app developers can spend more time on that and less time on having to have a data scientist that is going, yeah. to, is going to figure out how to put that together. The what and the why, right. not the how. Yeah, absolutely. Next uh, next question is from Rajan uh, Shandil in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, Rajan asks, Apple briefly mentioned faster ProRes encoding and decoding on the M2 chip. Uh, would this be a speed upgrade or additional quality and speed upgrade, uh, Renee? Yeah, so it, my understanding is it's identical to the media engine on the M1 Pro MacBook Pro. So whatever you could do with that, you can now do on the Air. So it's not any faster, but it allows you to do something on the Air you could never do before. If you want double the engines, you still have to go to the MacBook Pro M1 Max because that has double all the engines. But just being able to do that on air by itself is something you could never do previously. And if you think back, the afterburner card in the 2019 MacBook Pro, this Mac Pro, sorry, went to the Mac Pros and now it's on the MacBook Air, which is wild. Yeah, it's, it's I, I have to say that the, the new MacBook Air is, is screaming. And, and I would say, to go back to the question about high schoolers, if your high schooler is doing video, the dedicated processing yeah. is something that, will make a huge difference for when they're putting together videos. And Justine? Yeah, and even just the size comparison too of the Air compared to the 13-inch MacBook Pro, like it's 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 awesome. Like it really does feel like the 16-inch just squished yeah. down. And it also almost feels like an iPad because it's so light. And then, oh, look at this. Magically, I can open this up to an entire laptop. So I was really impressed. And I'm also very glad that they added a MagSafe. That was my biggest complaint yeah. with the 13-inch MacBook Pro was it only had two Thunderbolt ports. And I wasn't able to actually use all of them because I would have to charge the computer yeah. at the same time. So very excited that they added MagSafe. They don't have MagSafe on the 13-inch MacBook Pro though. No. And the other difference, like if you're concerned about the difference between the two, um, it's the same as last year in a way where the MacBook Air is fanless, um, but the MacBook Pro has a fan. So if you want to do any task that has more than 20 minutes of sustained, like lighting up the silicon for more than 20 minutes, like longer than 20 minute renders, longer than 20 minute uh, 3D modeling session, like anything like that, the MacBook Pro will let you sustain for way longer. 
And I didn't realize I didn't put the MagSafe back into the MacBook Pro. What was? Yeah. It's the same design. Yeah, it is the same design as the previous one. So I feel like once they kind of cycle that out, then, you know, MagSafe will be back. I literally didn't upgrade for four years. Like, like I was just like, you know, like, like I was just like, I am not interested in something I can't because I travel so much and I was just terrified that I'd bend like, you know, in a, in a, in a, on a plane or in a hotel, I'd end up bending the the piece. So I just, just almost, it was, you can still charge over USB-C. Some people were worried, but if you need to, you can still charge over USB-C as well. That's good. Uh, Next question is from Topher Martini in Denver, Colorado. And uh, Topher asks, um, how does the panel feel about the product life cycle of CarPlay versus the automotive industry? The new feature set looks amazing. However, the barrier for entry of buying, leasing a new vehicle seems like a TikTok cycle that can never be balanced. Uh, Renee? Yeah. So the thing is, the auto industry moves very, very slowly. And Apple only has a certain amount of ability to push that forward. So the way to think about CarPlay is that Apple will introduce these things over the next three to five years. The auto industry will adopt them. But if Apple didn't announce it now, it would be 10 years before they adopted it. So just imagine that anything you see related to CarPlay is going to be what you'll get in the next like three years of car update cycles. No, absolutely. Uh, Next question is from uh, Matt Calloway in Omaha, Nebraska. And he said, the new MacBook Air looks compelling. How many external displays does it support? I'd think it has the oomph for three uh, 4K displays if Apple enables it. Do we have any idea? I think it's just one 6K. It's the same as last year. Right. Yeah. And what is that? Do we know what the limitation is based on? Is there... It's yeah. ba- so it's based on design spec. So for the kind of user, like a lot of people are like, can I squeeze down into a MacBook Air? And that's really not what it's for. It's for somebody who really wants to live on a MacBook Air. And Apple's market research research shows that for their spec, like it's hard to explain to people in our crowd. Almost nobody uses external displays. Like it's single digit percentage. It's all of us. Absolutely everyone at WWDC does it. But in terms of mainstream consumers. Very few people do it, and almost nobody does it on an iPad, which is why it took so long to get external display support there. So for the MacBook Air, it's really just, I'm going to plug it into an external display, one. Uh, For people who want to do more than that, the MacBook Pro was specced to be able to do more than that. I think that's the problem, too, is we are all yelling into an echo chamber of people like, why don't we have this? Of course, this is normal in our workflow. So it definitely makes sense that that's not a normal use case. Next question is... (laughs) From Monkey Boy. <laughs> so, um, uh, were you surprised that Touch Bar uh, came back from the dead? Uh, does this mean <laughs> it's coming to more pro MacBooks? Uh, Adam, do you have any? I was surprised to see it in that screenshot. I was actually chatting with someone and said, did they have the Touch Bar on that? Were they just showing the old version and talking about the new version? But I think uh, there are there's a subset of people who like the Touch Bar. I'm not one of them. And I think <laughs> Apple's just catering to those people. You know, they have a product. They, they probably have economies of scale. So they have a lot of them lying in the, in the, in the factory. So they let's, let's give those people who like the Touch Bar a computer with it. Ari, <laughs> are, you, are, you, are, you a, are you a Touch Bar user or not user, Ari? Uh, I have it on one machine and it, it starts flickers all the time. So I hate it. Um, I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't want to lose the computer for weeks, but to get it fixed. It's Morse so, code. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I like the concept, but it, it seems like it doesn't work for me. I mean, like the answer is like Apple's ability to push things through ID is limited. Like there's only so many new devices they can make every year. And they had the bandwidth to make the MacBook Air along with the new iPhone coming later this year and everything. And that's a priority, you know, because that's like a major product. And they just didn't have the bandwidth to make a new industrial design for the MacBook Pro. So it's exactly the same as the M1 MacBook Pro. It's just got the new chipset in it. Uh, Justine, are you a touch bar person? or? Oh, I used to absolutely love it, especially for Final Cut. Like I would turn the volume down. Like I used to use it for just like random things, scrubbing the timeline. And then now, I mean, I've completely over it. Like I haven't even thought about it. So it was kind of exciting to see it back again. But it's like now I have that workflow already. So, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not necessary, but I was one of the like, you know, diehard touch, touch. I'm almost up. positive it'll go away when the MacBook Pro gets a redesign. It's just uh, waiting for that. I have to admit that I was excited for the first couple of weeks. And then I was just like, how do I turn this thing off? And it, and it mostly because I don't think I have enough precision. I, I realize I just don't have finger precision. And so I'm constantly hitting it. And so I was just constantly hitting it. And it was doing something oftentimes, you know, when we talk about wanting to take back the, the emails, the number one thing I did in mail when the, when the touch bar was going across was accidentally hit send because it was like it was it happened to be near some key that I use a lot. Well, you so can also I, tell like it was introduced in 2016 and it hasn't been iterated. And that means there's not a lot of interest in it. And that doesn't yeah. that usually means it's not long for the world. Yeah. Uh, next question is from Braden, um, uh, Bradenberry in, in Monk, ta, Monk, um, Moncton, uh, Canada. And, uh, and, and Braden asks, uh, why do you think the new M2 chip still has the limitation of only supporting one external display natively? Could this be a hardware limitation or just an effort? And I think we kind of covered that yeah. a little bit, that, that it's, um, it's aiming for something very specific. Stay tuned when you put a couple of those chips together and yeah. <laughs> make them magically right. do other things. <laughs> exactly. Um, the next question is from Nick, and he says, do you think the lack of, of tvOS and HomePod in the in the event, other than the new uh, home app and brief mention of matter could mean that we are getting um, something later in the year and they are saving it for that. I hope so. I home, love my HomePod. Home I'm I like I have a HomePod in every single room. Like there's not a room that you can go the, into. Are they all the big bathroom. or the, some little ones and big um, ones? What Some of the bigger ones. And then I kind of started transitioning into the smaller ones just because they took up yeah. way less real estate in like the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> my guess is just there'll be a bigger story around it later in the year. I still yeah. think I would like to have a display on it. You know, I love Alexa. Imagine, like docking your iPad. Like you have an iPad and you could just dock it in the HomePod dock and it becomes like one of those Google or Amazon screens. Yeah, that could be cool And then too. you pick up your iPad and you leave. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I'm still waiting to see if, I don't, I don't, I would be surprised if we saw more hardware from a TV, from the Apple TV. But as I said before, the hardware has feature sets inside of it that aren't being used. So you feel like at some point they're going to go and... Now we have the new thing, so we'll yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Um, next question is from uh, Rohan um, uh, Rohan Bade in Houston, um, and uh, and he asks uh, ask uh, CarPlay refresh looks like a sleeper hit, and looks like uh, what Project Titan uh, was all about to begin with. Own the experience inside the car. Leave the complexities and hardware uh, to the uh, SMEs, uh, automakers in this case. Do we think that there's, are we worried that there is no car or do we think that there's no car? That's just, it's just a big unrelated. It, it's unrelated. Like this was Project Stark a long time ago that made the car play and it was just meant for, you know, you go rent a car, you borrow a car and it brings your environment with you. And it was just an early, an early project uh, way before any, any other stuff started happening. Justine, are you waiting for a car? 
Are you, are you happy with I your mean, Tesla? I mean, I love my Tesla, but man, I want CarPlay so bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, when Apple does something, it's like they usually do it right and they fix a lot of the pain points that we've had along the way. So I'm very excited about it. And you better believe I will be first in line somewhere <laughs> waiting for it. Adam, do you, do you think you'd buy an Apple car? I'd buy a car with CarPlay, like if it looks like that. I mean, we're one car family. Uh, right. We just got one of those cat shields because there's a lot of catalytic converter thefts in our neighborhood. So we're going to run this car into the ground until uh, we need to replace it. And when Ari, we do, we'll probably get one with CarPlay. Ari, do you think, are you happy just with car, CarPlay or would you want an a, a, actual car? Um, I want a Rivian. Um, <laughs> that's the car that I like. And that actually doesn't have CarPlay. Um, so that's, that's something I've only recently thought about. And my mom has CarPlay in her Prius and it's great. Uh, but yeah. I Highly know. recommend the Rivian. My sister and I did a road trip with the SUV a couple weeks ago. It was unbelievable. I loved it so much that I pre-ordered one as well. So <laughs> it's, cool. it's See, incredible. But Jenna's ahead of you in the line, right? Jenna is ahead of me. My sister pre-ordered one like almost two years ago. So she'll be getting hers before me. But when is that? It's, um, when, when, I'm not when, sure. When I think she still has a few months. Years. Yeah. But it's it's an incredible car. And I think that's the problem, too, is a lot of these electric vehicle companies are using their own proprietary software to basically, you know, make the car function. So it's like adding that little integration with CarPlay. I mean, I don't know what is stopping them. Does anybody yeah. know? I think they want to own the experience. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can still switch. It could be just like a tab, like click on CarPlay, like some other vehicles are. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I love the electric vehicle space, though. I'm very excited for the future of it. I just want a box. I just want a box that I can do my thing in. I just, I don't need a driver's seat. I don't need any of this stuff. I just want a little desk Would that I can work in. you want an Apple e-bike, Alex? No, I don't want Not an e-bike. Not a full e -bike. I want a, Just e-bike? I, I don't want an e-bike. I, <laughs> I want a box that has okay. like, a, it has an exercise bike in it. So I can have an e-bike <laughs> inside of it, like a little like recumbent little bike that I can exercise on. Big screen, a little bed that folds out, but it could also be converted to a desk. I'm done. Is this like, a vehicle or are you talking about like you, you want a new apartment? Or it's like, what is a, no, it's a vehicle in my head. It's an apartment that moves. Okay. Like, and I don't really care how fast it gets there because I'm busy. Like I can, <laughs> I, if I need, I need to take a little nap, uh, I can, I can do that or I can exercise or I can work. I can watch TV. See, I, and I just think that, that that's the future. Full self lounging. I know. Exactly. Exactly. But moving, but moving. I all mean, right. you would have to just get a driver now and get a, uh, like, you know, one of the, the Mercedes Sprinter vans, get it all yeah. tricked out. You're set. So the funny thing is, the reason I thought of it was because uh, we had, we, I used to own two Sprinter vans for the last company I had. And so the, uh, um, and so I was thinking it'd be really great because they were cut off so you couldn't see the folks. And so there were times when I was in the back, not when we were driving, but thinking it's about the right size, <laughs> make it all work. So um, next question is from Jason Panks in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, Jason asks, with the new API for background downloads, uh, will this entice more gaming developers to um, the Apple platform? Uh, do we know much about the, the background? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's for me, it's like it's hard because like one of the problems with the original Apple TV, you know, the future of TV is apps, was that Apple had well the Siri remote, but they also had these uh, ongoing downloads, and developers had to slice up their apps. You know, like like the assets would load over time, and that was work. And anytime you're mm. making a new platform, if you tell a game studio you've got to do this extra work, they're like, we don't have to port it. Uh, so I think it's a huge advantage. The metal has these qualities, um, but it's going to depend on the complexity and whatever workload it adds to it. Otherwise, they're not going to want to just take their title and 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 do all that for the Mac market. Yeah. Uh, next question is from uh, Matt Calloway in Omaha, Nebraska, again, and and Matt asks uh, Renee. 
You've said you want Siri iOS. Uh, it feels yes. like all the new accessibility features and machine learning are getting getting us there. Apple glasses with outward looking cameras and a voice first OS could be amazing for people with low or no vision. Yeah, I think Siri OS, like as a concept would be, and if people aren't familiar with it, the idea is eventually like your iPhone is going to be just a little box that handles cloud authentication to prove that you're you and you have access to your stuff on the cloud. And then whatever device you wear or you pick up will be an endpoint for all your stuff. So you could walk into an office, it would end up being your Mac. You could pick up a, a piece of glass, it would be your phone, or it would have like AR interfaces opportunistically projected for you. And Siri would be like the mediator between this cloud-based AI uh, and storage pool and all of your experiences. And it would it would be Jarvis. Basically, everyone just wants Jarvis, right? Because that's like the ultimate expression. When you don't have the laws of physics or technology, you just have that. But for people already with like low, no vision, low, no hearing, all of these accessibility features are basically giving us the beginnings of that. Like we saw that with going back and forth between keyboard and dictation or now putting punctuation in. Uh, and we saw that in, in 2019 when they had voice control for everything. Like you could say, select from, select number one, select these things. We're just we're getting step by step towards that. We're not going to replace all interface because uh, words can be slow for some things like you can't just move around easily, but there'll be like a verbose interface layer adjacent to the interfaces we have now. I mean, I love all of the accessibility stuff. And one of my friends, his name's James Rath. He's a legally blind filmmaker, gamer, and everything that he does is so impressive. He's so amazing. Oh my gosh. And we just recently, he's working on a documentary, which I'm so excited for people to see. And we, he was teaching me to edit with accessibility features. And so I put on goggles to represent kind of how he sees. And it was just fascinating because there's so many accessibility tools that I never even knew existed and never would have known unless he had showed me. So, you know, I think people making these types of documentaries and bringing awareness to things that you can yeah. actually do, because a lot of people have no idea. I think it's going to be on Curiosity Stream. It is, yes. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Next question is from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. And he said, uh, was anyone surprised at the lack of AR feature announcements considering the invite had a hidden AR Easter egg? Every year they do that. They're just trolling us at this point. Every year they put like someone's wearing glasses with code on them. Right. And then the internet explodes going, oh my God, oh my God. And it's... They're just having some fun with us. I just don't want them to release a headset that's not ready. So I would rather wait and yeah. it be fully, you know, set and ready. And I won't get motion sickness to do terrible, <laughs> like with the Oculus. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I still think that there's some there's some room to improve the ecosystem before that comes out. You know, so I think that USDZ, for instance, as someone who develops a lot of stuff and we built a bunch of USDZ um, type models for, for projects, the Getting the models built, like actually having them pop out the other end looking really good is still hard. <laughs> and, and not hard, like it's hard to build 3D models. That's, that's hard enough. But the export process is brutal, you know, of getting out of almost any app unless you're, you know, Maya and Houdini and Cinema 4D and all these other ones. You know, the, the best one so far that I found was Substance. But that's easy. I mean, you can do Houdini and, and Maya have some great tools. Um, but the, the other ones are... You know, in the base, in the smaller group, Substance does a pretty good job. Cinema 40 is coming up to speed and, and ZBrush. But um, I think that it's a real challenge when you build a platform to make sure people can actually generate content for it or it'll just die. And I think that's been one of the challenges for Oculus is that there isn't an HTC, not a lot of good content. Like <laughs> You put it on, you get to the end of it and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm done. Now, now what to do? I've already beaten every 
everything in Robo Recall. <laughs> so, so you know, they're, they're once once you're at the end and you've gone through all the levels without any weapons, I think that you're just you've taken it as far as it's going to yep. go. Um, all right. Uh, next question is from uh, uh, Shari Shariar in uh, West Palm Beach, uh, Florida. And Sharir uh, asks, um, what does Apple bringing stage manager to both Mac OS and, and iPad OS indicate about the future of these platforms and the direction they are headed towards? Is Apple diverging these platforms from each other or converging them? Adam? So I think they're creating a foundation of features that exist across all the different platforms, but at the same time, they're letting each platform be true to themselves. So the the, the person who is presenting on iPadOS said, you know, it's a distinct experience built on the best of iOS, but with capabilities from macOS, like multitasking, trackpad support, and unique capabilities like Apple Pencil. So I think they're, they're going to have that base level foundation that exists across all the platforms, but then they're going to do unique stuff for each individual one. Ari, as you work with AudioKit, um, is, are, do you look at how you're going to develop apps so they're going to run both on iPad and, and M1? Yeah, we're looking at that more and more these days. Uh, I actually wanted to say that I think that the, the Apple's best interest is to have the platforms converge, not diverge. Uh, and because they're going to get more control over how apps are distributed on the Mac, you know, they feel like there's a lot of income that they could be making if their app store was sucking off the money off the things more than they are with Mac. Um, so definitely it's converging. Um, as far as the develop apps we're developing in the future, in the future um, every, all the UIs I do are in Swift UI cross platform. Um, so everything that I do looking forward is to make all the apps cross platform. So the more they can do to make the, the expectations of what to see on both platforms be similar, the happier I am. It does feel like the code becomes a lot simpler, yeah. right, Renee? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the way to look at it is Steve Jobs' old analogy of like you have cars and you have trucks. And for a lot of people, cars are fine, but people with trucks deserve nice amenities as well. And we've seen that in the auto industry. It's like now they have plush interiors, you know, like a oh, luxury car interior. The Ram TRX, yeah. huge fan. And that's what the Mac needs. Like the Mac, like the Mac and the iPad don't have to be the same, but all the nice things about the iPad, like, like the user affordances can make the Mac nicer. So you have like a much nicer truck at the end of the day. And also my audience is also, they're a lot younger. So watching and listening and hearing feedback of how, the younger audience is using touch-based environments, like it's completely different. It's like my little niece who's two and a half touches the TV and is upset that it doesn't work the way that her <laughs> phone does. Yeah, yeah, so I'm very interested in seeing how developers are going to be starting to develop for these touch-based environments, for the younger generation who wants a touch-based editing environment, touch-based audio, and it kind of completely changes the way they, that they are growing up and learning the things that we learned. And they just think that non-touch screens are broken. Like they right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I do think it's generational. I watch my kids who are 12 and 14 and they are um, so touch oriented. I mean, they just pick because they've had iPads most of the time that they've thought about it, you know, and, and so so they don't they, they think about that in, in a certain way. For me, the interface becomes difficult because I, I do a lot of stuff, for instance, in something like OmniGraffle. And yeah. the issue is, is the iPad one version is it's very difficult for me to use. The you know, like density is low. Yeah, yeah, and I just can't. I build wiring diagrams in OmniGraffle, and so um, so doing that with my finger is not doesn't work. So now <laughs> so, you can so, switch so, the iPad to scaled interfaces, which will yeah. maybe be helpful. Maybe make it better. The problem is it's the actual interface. I'd I'd be happy to use a mouse with my OmniGraffle on my iPad uh, if I could just if I could just have the my my 
yeah. Mac-based interface back on it to get back to what Ari's talking about and getting those to merge together. Or maybe I can choose a touch experience or a, or a mouse experience and, you know, have it just flip back and forth between uh, which one makes the most sense for what I'm doing. Um, next question is from Sin, uh, Cindy Drozda in Boulder. And Cindy asks, when will we get an iPad that will run real programs, <laughs> real programs like Photoshop, Microsoft Word, uh, PowerPoint, et cetera, and will read docs created on a desktop Mac? It's interesting, like, because for a long time, the I, iOS had no concept of, like we talked about, like no concept of swap. All it would do was if it was under memory pressure, it would jetsam an app. And so you, you could only have apps that were so big, persistent in memory. But now that they can swap, we're going to be able, like Photoshop had to go back to their original code base in order to fit it onto an iPad because it was built for such a small, constrained environment. But now they can page to disk the way they could on the Mac for a long time. So it's going to enable a lot more of those applications. The only thing I think that's going to be differentiated is that the iPad is still meant for a different type of user, like a more mainstream user even the pro one it's like architects are pro like they may not be like coders they may not be uh like final cut pro users but architects are pro and there's a whole bunch of fields that are just better suited for ipad style direct manipulation interfaces so i think we'll get pro apps but the trick is going to be how do you fit like an xcode model or a final cut model and my hope is that things like xcode in the cloud will be the will be the thing that you have your project there and then you pick up a Mac or you pick up an iPad and you use what you want and that reflects in the cloud, you know, truth of the project. Absolutely. Um, I find that my workflow is so interesting between a lot of these apps, you know, like Keynote is a perfect example because I build stuff in it almost every day and uh, mostly just explaining how, what we're doing. Like this is, this is you know, showing someone like this is how this works. It's kind of what I do a lot of. And uh, I find that, you know, I, as we talked about before, outline and notes. And then I go to Keynote and I, I, I build 40, I have, a, I have a, a project with 40 slides and I just start drawing the, no, I look at the notes, I split screen and I sit there and draw on it to, to get it all sorted out. And, and then I take it back to the computer because I need to use my Mac to put all the images in because it's too hard to do inside of Keynote, <laughs> inside of the iPad. And then, and then I go, and then I, then I present off the iPad. So it's, it's this kind of back and forth that we see a lot of that hopefully will get merged as we said before. Um, next question is from Nicholas uh, Men, uh, Menard in Montreal. And Nicholas asks, uh, will M2 support the AV1 codec? If not, when do you think Apple will implement the new codec in their devices? And for those listening, AV1 is, a, uh, is, an, is an, the next generation of yeah. compression. Uh, go ahead, Rene. It has been for years. Like AV1 has been on the spec for a long time. And it's something that we were hoping because Google and Apple went in different directions. Originally, they were all using like H.264, but Google objected to the licensing. So they made VP8 and VP9 now. And that caused that was the reason why you couldn't get like high definition YouTube for a while on Apple devices. So they're using these different codecs. And the hope is that with AV1, everyone will come back together again. Apple, as far as I know, does not support AV1 on the A15, and it's the same IP for M2. So, like, they could surprise us with because it's not exact. Like, they can still do things that are new with M2. But until we see someone, you know, finds those bits inside it, I'm not going to assume that it's going to be there. But I think when we start going to the next generation of IP, I think it was always like AV1 was always coming but never arriving. But now it seems like Google is beginning to implement it. Uh, and as more and more content becomes available, I think then Apple is going to move it into, we're talking hardware acceleration. You can do it in software right now. It doesn't matter. It's just not as fast and not as battery efficient. But to have hardware acceleration for it is the big deal. Yeah. AV1 is incredibly uh, processor intensive. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's the, I mean, that's the big thing is it's, it's taking, it's not, it's, it's much harder to run, but it also um, gives you a lot more 
quality bits per megabit, um, you know, to, to put that out. Uh, you know, I think that the funny thing is Apple has less pressure than almost everyone else because they went ahead and paid for H.265. Yeah. <laughs> like they were just like, oh, we got, we have, we have a pretty good solution. So it's more incremental for someone, for other air, um, companies, it's more important because there's a much bigger jump yeah. forward in that process. Um, uh, next question is from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana, and he asks, uh, when will we see the Keynote app get virtual cameras or will the new camera feature unlock this? Keep on seeing more and more added to Keynote. Um, my, my I don't really big... use Keynote that often, so I you don't, don't use know. Keynote? How do you not use Keynote? I don't. I don't Alex know. Lives in Keynote. She's like, I don't have to. I mean, pre- I would I don't make present. In, I would do it in Final Cut. <laughs> like your <laughs> Animal Crossing to you is Keynote to, to Alex. He just makes little go. houses there yeah. and like has all his pets. And- <laughs> it's like I do the most random things in Final Cut. I'm like, I probably could have done a presentation in, in Keynote or something, but I just make yeah. a video. Same. <laughs> the funny thing is, I have things that I just want to do, and like I, I know Keynote really well, and I'll be in Final Cut. I'll be in Motion. And, and uh, in motion, I, you know, I animate a lot of things in motion and I love 3D, I'm obsessed with 3D text and USDZ models and so on and so forth in motion. And so I'm always uh, putting those in, but there's little things that Keynote does, like things are going to just drop in. And I'm like, I can animate that in motion, but it'd be a lot easier to just build that, build that slide in. in I just Keynote. want Keynote snapping in Final Cut. Like if we could just snap to like align everything in Final Cut, it'd be fantastic. Oh. Yes, we need to. Can we submit that somewhere? Yeah, I think I we might know I've some done it people. Like two or three times, or, or all the behaviors. Yeah. Like I just want the keynote behaviors in motion. Like I yes. would be very everywhere. Yes, I'd be happy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question is from uh, again uh, from Shariar in West Palm Beach, Florida, and Shariar asks: uh, the introduction of passkeys seems to me to be the, a game changer, considering how Apple is working with other platforms to make this a thing. Do you think this will catch on, or do you think this is just a fad? Does anyone have any? Uh, They're all behind like it. it. Microsoft, Google, yeah. and Apple are behind it, and that's a huge that's a huge coverage of platforms. So I think it's gonna it's it's way better than us having to pick the red traffic light and every time we go to a web page. Oh, I mean, I just can't anymore. Pick yeah. the bike. I'm like, well, okay, that's a motorcycle. Is that technically yeah. a bike? And yes. then I'm questioning everything that I've ever learned or know. Maybe I am a robot. I don't know. And sometimes they mess with you because there isn't anything in there that they're asking you to pick. The, the worst is the crosswalks. I'm like, I, I can't tell. It's like a void count test every time. <laughs> I feel bad because everyone's asking, everyone asking questions in this show had to go through that, the gauntlet to get into the, into the Q&A because we have, we have the capture, you know, there to, to keep it, keep it straight. Um, yeah, Ari, do you think this is a, a fad or do you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to build up? I, I definitely don't think it's a fad. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that getting past, you know, I think that we're going to move, we're already seeing this, but these pass keys and then connecting them to uh, biometrics is going to get to a point where you really yeah. can say you are who you say you are. You know, you don't necessarily have to say who you are, but, but being able to prove, I mean, the reason we go through the, the gauntlet to get into this is so if someone's problematic we can pop them out yeah, you know, yeah and and they can't come back in so um so anyway yeah so, uh, next question from this is from chris clark in uh, tempe arizona he says congratulations um we've got some audio there uh yeah the um chris clark asks congratulations to the graphic artist who rendered the panelists as colorful marvel superhero style caricatures uh elegant capture of your signature qualities credits well, the credits go to everybody because i just uh <laughs> Here's the thing is I had an entirely different plan for what that was going to look like. And I have a bad habit of pivoting. Um, and so I, you know, so as I was working on the screen, on the, you know, we were getting ready. It was all done. I was ready to send it to our web developer and have them put it up. And I looked at it and I was like, because mm, I was trying to capture 
what Apple was doing, you know, with, with theirs. What you can see right behind Renee is Apple's. Now, what I realized very quickly as I, as I got into it is Apple has the 3D models and I don't. Yes. <laughs> so, so Apple has the 3D model. They, they can render those any way they want. And I, I do not have that option. And so I, um, so I really tried to fake it. So the, there was a couple versions of this that were like me building, you know, some lighting effects. And they, of course, by the way, they took the lighting effects out of Photoshop. Not that I'm bitter. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so the lighting effects was no longer in Photoshop and I was trying to figure this out. And then I was just like, I just need to get some something else. And so I, I had, uh, I just suddenly started texting everybody and emailing everybody going, Hey, can you just turn sideways? And, <laughs> and, and the funny thing was, I didn't know how to do it. Like I was like, Justine, of course, sends it back immediately. She's like, Boop. you know, like here it is. And, uh, and, uh, Renee sends Moan back pretty quick, almost right after Justine's. And then I was like, how did you do that? You know, like, cause I, I kept on like trying to figure it out. I couldn't figure out where to hit it. And just in case you're wondering, you, you can turn sideways and then you just push the button. You just tap on it. You don't tap the record because that'll do video. Yeah. You just tap on the, on the, uh, not hold it. Cause the other thing you can do is you can hold it and drag it into the messages, which is what I kept on trying to do. It just, it puts it into never and ever land. It like yeah, sits it over top of, oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I kept on dragging I, it. I was like, when you asked for it, I was like, oh, I sent you a pig emoji first. I was yes, like, use that one. <laughs> I was like, was it a pig? Use a pig. <laughs> it was not. It was just the regular pig emoji. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so the, um, so that was it. The only thing that was added to that was uh, because the heads were next to each other. Someone asked about this in, in some other show that I had this morning. Uh, there's a, there should be a contact shadow, what we call ambient occlusion, um, that between each person. And so what I did is I just took, I, they're all in layers. They came in as pings. And I just made an oval and I blurred it and I made it like 15% opacity and I just set it between each person. Yeah. And what that does is it just creates just a little bit of contact shadow between all the heads. So I was, just love that you spent so much time on that. It's a very Alex <laughs> thing to, to do. I'd love to say I spent a lot of time on it, but that like literally I was on deadline. That took like five minutes. <laughs> Because like, like, it's, it's just like a little, I just, I, 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 look, I kept on looking at it going, something wrong, something wrong, something wrong. And I was like, contact shadows. And yeah. I just went. So it, funny. Was, it was a funny, uh, funny problem. Anyway, that's, that's how that happened. Uh, next question uh, is from Topher Martini in Denver, Colorado, who asks, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the Mac OS 9 eulogy at WWDC. <laughs> Um, what current product or feature deserves a similar send off <laughs> when it reaches the end of life? Go ahead, Adam. I think they did it a few weeks ago when they uh, killed the iPod Touch name and stuff. But in terms of like the developer thing, I, I was watching the State of the Union address and the first guy was talking about like, we, we, we want to do Swift, Swift UI um, and something else. And then he, then he was talking about UI kit, app kit and Objective-C. I was waiting for him to say that like they're deprecated and they're like, we're not going to be like enhancing them in the future. But he didn't say it. But I think something like that might happen maybe a year, two years down the road. Renee, is there anything that specifically? I wonder how long the current paradigm where you have on the Mac, you have AppKit, you have Catalyst, which is basically UI kit for the Mac, and then you have Swift UI, which isn't ready for prime time yet, but it's not hard to see in the future where, like, I don't know if AppKit's going to give, if Catalyst is going to give, if Swift UI will really take over a lot of it. But I think that is due for some simplification over the next five years. Yeah, I it's, would just. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say, I would just say a nice eulogy for all of the Intel Macs 
<laughs> just the entire lineup. And they're so we're hot done. they can burn themselves. You don't even need to light them on fire. <laughs> the cremation's happening itself. I, I, mean, I have those to admit. were great at the time, but man, M1 just really took over. It was amazing when M1 was, when we knew M1 was coming, I was like, well, they'll have a little toy and I'll watch it grow, you know, yes. and, the, and the kids can use it while I keep on using my Intels. And the moment the, fir- the, the first numbers came out, it was like, well, no more, not, no more Intels for me. Yeah. So yeah, it's an amazing thing. Uh, coming up to our last questions here uh, for the for the show, uh, Evan Murray in St. Paul, Minnesota asks, uh, I'm really excited for the new RESTful APIs in the Apple-like weather kit. However, uh, how do you manage keeping API calls limited across multiple clients? I don't know if anybody, if, if any of our developers have any uh, input on on that process. I don't know. Uh, I unfortunately st- do not. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think that you might have stumped I hope it self-manages. Let's just hope that it self-manages. Yeah, exactly. We'll look uh, into it. Next, next question uh, just is from Joe. make a weather app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, 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 we'll throw one together. Uh, uh, um, uh, next question is from Joe, Joe Phillips in Murphy, North Carolina. Uh, with the advent of Ab- A- Apple Silicon in uh, all new devices and having the power to spare uh, and having power to spare in the mobile platforms, do you think that there is a unified OS in the re- in the future replacing the existing uh, device OSs with maybe the exception of iWatch? This is we I think we all are looking at it feels like all these major devices are coming together. Like it it's I think it's going slower. It's actually I'll be honest, it's going much slower than I expected. You know, the the merger of the of the big OSs, at least the app, iPod and uh, iPad and um, Mac OS feel like they are taking their own sweet time. And our, um, our last question for the show, um, Andrew from SoCal asks, did anyone notice uh, anything specific in Keynote or SOTU regarding any new features for Swift Playgrounds? I was hoping Apple would expand on the app creation and submission features from Swift Playgrounds 4. Was there anything new? Ari, did you see anything new in Swift Playgrounds? I saw that 4.1 came out, but I did not uh, have a chance to see what was new in it. Didn't seem like it was a major update. Uh, yeah, it was app submissions for the Mac version. You could start doing, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Anything, anything else? Yeah. So it's. Uh, I think, I think was they but I don't remember what just, it was. Yeah. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I think they they only had so much time in the keynote, so I think they announced this whole Swift Playgrounds four, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, so that they didn't have to talk about it. During the keynote this morning. They can, they can answer so. questions about it later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, go ahead, Renee. No, I was just going to say, I think there was something, but I, didn't, I don't recall what it specifically was. But I think that's going to be one of those things where, like, yeah, like you just said, it, where not everything has to be in the keynote. And like they got accessibility features out early. They got sort of playgrounds features out early to sort of load balance it for all of us, which I, I welcome. Yeah. Do, do you play at all with Swift Playgrounds, Justine? I don't know. Not yeah. really. I played with them a little bit. Um, I, I, I still, it's, it, for me, it's like a mixture of, oh, this is really cool, and then it doesn't go fast enough. <laughs> you know, My big it. feature the, request the still that, is a Konami code that makes Byte get Craig Federighi here. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be the ultimate Easter egg. The thing that got me interested when we were getting ready for the show, I was doing some searches. And Ari, you're, you have a couple of tutorials on, on using Swift Playgrounds and building audio apps, right? Yeah, I made a, a, a tutorial on how to build a drum pad app using Swift Playgrounds. And... I came away from it pretty pleased with the, with the experience. I think it's up to developers to um, give more components that people on iPads can use. They don't have to get too far in the nitty gritty. So like 
when on my YouTube video where I build the drum pad app, I'm able to say like, just type in drum pad, uh, open brackets and it'll it'll display. I don't go through the actual process of making the core graphics, draw it, render it. I have a Swift package that, that can do that for the user. So I think um, we're going to be coming up with a few more of those from with AudioKit uh, UI. Uh, and that will allow people like pretty quickly to have a good experience with Swift Playgrounds. If other developers did the same thing, I think it would be good. Um, it's just, it's, if you're going to do low level stuff, use the Mac, but if you want to put together, you know, like that kid in high school, if he wants to put together something with uh, a bunch of Swift packages on the, Expo, on the Swift Playgrounds, I think it's a good thing. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what, what mix effect is? Yeah, and we're so going to wrap this back up. We're going to wrap up the show. So tell, tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. So Mix Effect is an app that controls uh, Blackmagic ATEM video production switchers. Uh, you can take a look at here's the my ATEM right here, and I can like change inputs. You can see my inputs changing in the little multi-view window um, down there, and I can just control uh, my switcher like this. Uh, if I want to bring in like an overlay, I can just like tap a button, and you can see like my contact information. Uh, there's full audio controls um, here where I can adjust things like the equalizer and just do this. There's a lot of math. This probably Swift charts would be come in handy here um, and do all sorts of other things. Um, actually, I don't think I was showing you the audio things, but I was showing the audio like I can do dynamics, compressors, equalizers. Basically, you can control the entire hardware switcher from an iPad or a Mac or uh, an iPhone. And you guys use it at office hours every day. Yeah. The, sh the show that you're watching here is all run with Mix Effect Pro. <laughs> so, so, so it's, it's, uh, uh, and so this, this, this four up and everything else, it literally, and we're running it with a constellation, uh, a black magic constellation. It is literally changes the value of the switcher, um, dramatically and upward, not downward. So, so it's a very, it's very, very powerful app. Um, uh, Ari, can you tell us a little bit about what is AudioKit? Okay, so AudioKit is a Swift uh, package for doing making audio apps for Mac, uh, iOS, and tvOS, and uh, it's uh, it's been around for about a decade now. A lot of great developers have, have joined me to develop it. Um, we have a Slack group. Um, it's really helpful for new people, and it's some of the smartest people I ever had the opportunity to meet. Um, I love that I built up uh, something for myself and people who I am feel honored to know became my friends through it. So um, if there's people out there who want to try to develop audio apps, um, come join our Slack group and we can help you out. And then uh, to make money, because uh, AudioKit is free and open source, we uh, put out apps under the brand AudioKit Pro. So if you like AudioKit and you want to help us out, go look up AudioKit Pro on the App Store. And we have a, a few really great synths. A new one just came out called VHS Synth. And if you want a free one, there's one called AudioKit Synth One, which a lot of people love. Um, so we we do a lot for the community, and uh, we hope uh, we hope to continue to have a fun community for ourselves to know other great audio developers and get things done. And I have a I have a large collection of AudioKit <laughs> apps, so uh, it's a really really great apps, and it's it's, it's cool. really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Renee, what are you? How are you covering WWDC uh, this week? Uh, I'm just trying to learn absolutely as much as I possibly can about some of what I think are the key features, things like M2, the new MacBook Air, what 
the ability to swap means for an iPad, especially if you look at, you know, an 8 gig or a 16 gig iPad Pro, maybe a 24 gig iPad Pro in the future. Uh, and then I want to start covering, you know, everybody is, everybody is going to do like a million videos uh, this week. So I want to really carefully pick my targets uh, for what I think is going to be a little silicon geeky stuff, but also uh, things that will fundamentally change the value proposition of, of the existing devices. Justine, how are you? Uh, how, how have you been covering the, the event? Yeah, going to do a WWDC kind of wrap up. And then obviously, like I've been so into TikTok recently. So I have a few TikToks planned. It's I, I can't stop scrolling on TikTok. I think, Alex, <laughs> it was actually your fault at Vlog University <laughs> when you were talking about TikTok is the new thing. I should have believed you then yeah. because it's got me sucked in. Now, now do, you, um, uh, do you use the core app or do you edit it somewhere else? Oh, I edit somewhere else. Although today I did, actually it was my first time that I did a TikTok edited video and it edited it so well. I was like, this was perfect and took no time at all. So I don't know, AI editing, it's, it's the future. We're all out of jobs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, Justine, uh, Renee, Adam, uh, Ari, thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening and answering so many questions. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. This us. is great. Thanks very much. Yeah. And thank you to, to everyone who has been watching and asking lots of questions. We didn't even get through half of them. <laughs> like it's, they just kept coming in. So, um, so but we will, uh, we'll do this again. Uh, it was really, really a great, great time. So thanks so much. And if, again, we're going to be covering uh, all of this all week. So tomorrow we'll talk about audio video uh, updates and what that means with, um, with developers as well as with our larger panel. We do that every day. Uh, <laughs> Seven days a week, uh, we get we we meet at seven a.m. and but the second hour we'll talk about uh, eight, t next, tomorrow at eight a.m. We'll talk about how the updates affect audio and video. Uh, we'll talk about three D and AR on Wednesday, and then kind of an overview of everything else that we saw on Thursday. So um, stay tuned for that. Also, uh, we cover Cinegear on the on the ground in L.A. on Saturday, so we still have a lot of. Coverage is a very busy week. We had NAM last week and Cinegear this weekend and WWC in between. And I'm speaking in Infocom, I think tomorrow or next day. So, uh, so it's a lot of moving parts. So anyway, so stay tuned for all of that. And uh, we will uh, see you uh, in office hours.